First Person is produced in cooperation with the Far East Broadcasting Company, who rejoice in the stories of changed lives through the power of Jesus Christ. Learn more at febc.org. I tell people when you're down to nothing, and God's always up to something. So don't miss it. Don't fret. He uses suffering as a global megaphone uh, to speak to us. And so don't miss what God's doing in some of the worst seasons of your life. His name is Robbie Gallaty, and he's now a pastor, but the road to his spiritual transformation was pockmarked with serious addictions. You'll hear his story as you stay with us now for this edition of First Person. Welcome, I'm Wayne Shepherd. These interviews are for the purpose of introducing you to people whose lives have been radically changed and redirected to God's kingdom purposes. Along the way, God equips them to do amazing things in His name. Please take a few moments to visit us online or on Facebook. You'll learn more about our guests and find links to resources. Go to firstpersoninterview.com or look for us at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Our guest, Robbie Gallaty, is the senior pastor of Long Hollow Baptist Church in Tennessee and the founder of Replicate Ministries, focused on disciple-making. His life of destructive behaviors was radically changed through a series of God-ordained events, as you'll hear. As we talked online, before we discussed what was true in his life, I asked him to start by describing what is true today. Yeah, you know, I I think my calling is probably a little different than most people in the sense of I was actually called into ministry the day I was radically saved, which I don't, I mean, you probably interview a lot of people. I don't know if you hear that often, but I just knew without a shadow of a doubt that God was calling me to do something. I didn't know what that was, but I knew he was calling me to just step forward in faith. And so now uh, I have the wonderful privilege of pastoring an amazing church here in the Nashville area called Long Hollow. I've been here over six years, followed a great pastor. God blessed the church for 17 years under his ministry. And by God's grace, we're in, a, in the middle of a revival right yeah. now, Wayne. We have seen since the, this past December, just about a year now, uh, over 1,565 people baptized in less than just a, a year. So you just think about this revival move of the Spirit of God that he's doing here. So it's really an exciting season right now. I have a wife named Candy, who is an author and a speaker, just an amazing godly woman. And I have two boys uh, by the name of Rig and Ryder. And some people may say to, to me, well, Robbie, both of them have names of trucking companies. And you'd be right. <laughs> uh, they're rough and tumble, uh, Wayne. So they're they're pretty, boys, uh, huh? pretty, They're boys, yes, yes. <laughs> Well, it is so great to hear from you, and we've been reading about what God is doing at Long Hollow, and it's very exciting. But there's a backstory to all of this, and that's what I want to talk about. Before the Lord gave you the ministry that you have today, Robbie, he had to deliver you from a dark domain, didn't he? So let's let's ask you to tell that story as best we can in the few minutes that we have here today, because so many wonderful things that God has done. Yeah, and I want to encourage those who are listening. My testimony, you may not be able to relate to all of it. But I want to encourage you to believe that no one is too far from the reach or the grace of God, that uh, if there's breath, there's life. And if there's someone who's alive, there's hope. I wasn't always a pastor, Wayne. I was actually uh, raised in New Orleans, Louisiana, half Italian. We were very good Catholics growing up, believe it or not. We went to church every Sunday, uh, went to confession on Saturday if we missed church. 
And, uh, but even back then, you know, I didn't have a personal relationship with God. God for me, like someone listening is, was a, uh, an authoritarian dictator who was out to get me every time I, I got out of line. And I never looked at God as a God of love or a God of compassion or kindness. It wasn't until years later that I understood that. But I got out of college. I got a scholarship to play basketball of all places at a Southern Baptist college. And for those who are tuned in, you if you know what that means, I was the target of every evangelism yeah. class on campus, right? Who do we tell about Jesus? It's Robbie. And I was lost. I mean, Wayne, I would cruise through the campus blaring Tupac Shakur for my 10-inch bazookas and my red Mustang. I mean, just lost as lost could be. It was my second year in college. I had a friend who did something novel. The first year I was a project and I knew that even as a lost guy, I knew these guys were trying to conquer me. Mm -hmm. You know, they're trying to send my name to a convention. <laughs> but the second year, someone did something novel. Uh, his name was Jeremy Brown and he befriended me, right? Like he befriended me. We had the same likes and, and giftings. We had the same passions. And what he did was over the course of that year, he earned the right to share the gospel mm -hmm. with me because I would listen to him. And he said one night, hey, if you if you died today, would you go to heaven or hell? And I said, Jeremy, I would go straight to hell. He said, how does that make you feel? I said, man, not good. He said, well, repeat a prayer after me, which I did. Mm -hmm. And I repeated a prayer. And for about a week or two, I thought I was a Christian. And the reason people ask me, how do you know you weren't a Christian back then? Because as I look back to that season, after that week or two, I went back to the lifestyle I thought I left. And for those listening who are clinging on to a prayer five or 10, maybe 15 years ago, or you walked an aisle, or you got wet in the baptistry, if your life does not prove the case that you're a Christian, I mean, Jesus said, you'll know them by the fruit yes, they bear, right. then I would question if it was a true salvation experience. And here's the line I've come up with that is helpful. So the fruit of your life reveals the root of your heart. The fruit of one's life reveals the root of your heart. You can't tell my heart. I don't know what your heart is, but you can definitely see my life. And we can gauge by our lifestyle, the fruit of our life. And so I had no fruit that would make me or anyone believe I was a believer. Got out of college, uh, started to train Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I wanted to be an MMA fighter. Uh, I'm 6'6". Six, six. Back then, I was 290. Uh, I was training to be in the UFC. And this is not the UFC today, so you didn't make much money. I was a bouncer bartender for a season in New Orleans, which was a wild time, if you can imagine. November 22nd, 1999, Wayne, I'm coming home from work. This is where my whole life changes. An 18-wheeler comes across two lanes of traffic, sandwiches my car in the guardrail. I herniate two discs in my neck, two discs in my back. Mm -hmm. I'd never taken drugs before. I'm 22 years old because I'm an athlete up to this point. I've never done drugs. But I go to the doctor legitimately in pain. And a lot of people listening have a friend or a family right. or you. Yeah, it's a crisis in our this country. This is how it yeah, starts. Yeah. yeah, you know it. And I go home with four things. Oxycontin, Valium, Soma, and Percocet. Oh, boy. And I start, you know the story here. I start taking them every four to six hours for pain. Within two to three months, I'm addicted to pharmaceutical drugs. Uh, I can't make money. I can't work, really. I'm in pain. And so I, I just want to get and so I would run through the 30-day prescription in two weeks. I have to find a way to feed this insatiable desire to get high. And so a guy comes up to me, he says, hey, why are you fooling with pharmaceutical drugs? You can buy street drugs. You can buy them in bulk, bag them, sell them, and make money to fuel your habit. And so I brought my 
business knowledge from the, the college years in the world into the drug world and started importing ecstasy, GHB, Special K, uh, started uh, dealing heroin and cocaine, started using heroin and cocaine. Uh, times were good, I have to be honest, by the world mm-hmm. standards. I mean, in the beginning. And sin's always fun for a season. Of course. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, if you're listening, yeah. it's always fun for yeah. a season. It always takes you where you don't want to go, doesn't it? Yeah. Further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, costs you more than you ever want to pay. And mm-hmm. So I, I had fun for a season, and then I lost it all. I had a $200 a day heroin and cocaine addiction, robbed my own family for $15,000, lived without gas, electricity, or water for three months, went to two rehab treatments. I'm making the story short. Sure. Two rehab treatments. And after the second rehab treatment, people say, why did you go twice? Yeah, the first time I did it without Christ. And people say, why did you go to rehab for the second time? Well, because I tried to do it without Jesus the first time. What happened was, and this is what I realized, you can't break yourself free from the bondage of sin that you're in. Mm. You need someone other than yourself, namely God, the creator, Christ, to set you free from the ball and chain of sin, which shackles your life in the form of addiction. And so if you're trying to experience sobriety or recovery without Christ, I tell people it's a dead end street. Yeah. And so I actually knew that I needed something higher than myself, bigger than myself. And on November 12, 2002, that's when my whole life changed. All right. We'll talk more about this, but your parents are an important part of this story as well. And by the way, it's in your book, which we'll have in our program notes. The book is called Recovered. Tell me about your parents during this whole ordeal that you went through. Yeah, mom and dad uh, growing up were really close. My dad didn't have hobbies uh, other than working on cars. He had a collision center, but his hobby was going out with his family in a sense. So he went to nice restaurants and uh, the movies every Saturday night. So I tell people from the age of uh, eight years old until about 20, I've seen every movie that I was allowed to see uh, that was ever made. (laughs) My mom and dad would bring me to the movies uh, and my sister uh, and my dad became my best friend. Um, he stood at my wedding as my best man. Mm. I worked with him since I was 13. And that heightens what I did to them. Yeah. Um, when I stole from them, I got the phone call from my mom when they found out. I would slowly charge money on their credit card without them knowing. Um, my dad would charge thousands of dollars a month for parts. And I thought I could get away with it. Mm-hmm. But they found out. Mom called me and said, uh, we found out about what you did. Your father is furious and I'm disappointed. No. Don't ever come to this house again. Not what you want to hear. Which for me, yeah, I mean, that, but I was prideful. I said, you know what? I don't need you guys. Never did. Uh, I, I can make it on my own. Hung the phone up, took the money I had, blew it on drugs and lived living hell on earth for three months. And it wasn't until a few months later at an 80th birthday party for my grandfather that I went in to see my two unbelieving parents at the time. My parents are now committed believers leading discipleship groups. They are uh, leading life groups. Yeah. They love Jesus. They have I mean, their own crazy. amazing Back story, then, don't they? they <laughs> oh, I mean, that's a whole story in itself, Wayne. But here's what's cool about my parents. They showed the unconditional love of Christ to me when I came back and asked for help. Now, they didn't condone the sin. They, they didn't accept the lifestyle. But what they did is they welcomed the sinner back. Mm-hmm. And when I came back and said, if you're listening, here, here's the reality of where you are. If there is a perpetual drug addiction in someone's life in your family, you can always trace it back to an enabler. This is the thing I've learned. 
an enabler. Normally it's a, it's a mom, but in my case, it was a dad. Mm. One person's an enabler. And here's how an enabler works. They want the best for they ki- their kids. They think they're helping them, but they're actually funding their funeral. Yeah. Because drugs only lead to one of three things, jail, institution, and death. And so my case, it was my father. My mom stepped in and said, no more. And what happened is this. She created a bottom for me. Here's the line I want you to get. This is worth the whole time together if you get this. If you're an enabler, here's what I want to say to you. And I say it with love. If you keep being their savior, Jesus never can be. Mm -hmm. Why would they turn to Christ when they have mom or dad? And so mom and dad created a bottom for me. And that's what ultimately led me to see my need for Christ. And we'll pick up the story right there with Robbie Gallaty, our guest on First Person. It continues in just a moment. Ed Cannon talks about the weekly podcast, Until All Have Heard. The primary purpose of Until All Have Heard, of course, is to share the experience that FEBC has because we have staff on the ground in so many oppressive places. But in addition to that, we're trying to speak to you in a way that only the kind of testimonies you'll hear from around the globe can do. Discover for yourself how the gospel is making a difference around the world. Search for Until All Have Heard on your favorite podcast platform or hear it online at febc.org. My guest is Robbie Gallaty, who's the author of Recovered How an Accident, Alcohol, and Addiction Led Me to God. Of course, Robbie has written many other books as well. We'll put in our program notes uh, more about Robbie and his ministry at Long Hollow and about his books as well at firstpersoninterview.com. Okay, I know we're skipping so much of the story that is it's, it all adds up to an amazing God at work in your life, Robbie. But I, I want you to pick up the story. Uh, you became a believer, but uh, things didn't go real smoothly at first, did they? Yeah, you know, uh, my nickname early on was Ignorance on Fire after I got saved. <laughs> I know a lot, Wayne, but I had a passion with the little bit I knew, and I really loved the Lord, And I, but I didn't have anyone speaking into my life, discipling me. And so I felt invincible. I I mean, I started the ministry within six weeks of being a Christian with the only guy I knew who knew Jesus, which was Jeremy Brown from college. Mm -hmm. And Jeremy and I started a ministry. I talk about this in the book. I didn't know how to preach, but I knew how to do magic tricks or card tricks. And within a few months, I'm traveling all over the South doing tricks and sharing the gospel and talking about Jesus and sharing my testimony and it was at that point, a couple of months in, I thought, I need to go back and share Christ with two friends in the world who were still addicted to heroin and cocaine. And I went back and I said, hey, listen, Eloy, do you mind if I share Christ with you? And he said, no, not at all. Do you mind if I roll a joint while you do it? Hmm. And I thought, no, of course not. I'm a Christian, man. I'm invincible. And I can't tell you exactly how it happened. But within a few weeks, I'm back on drugs as a Christian preacher now. Wow. It's only the mercy of God. He didn't just take me home. But this time, and this is another reminder of how the addiction world works. When you go back to the addiction you left, you never start over. You pick up where you left off. I see. And what happens is that's why people relapse. And that's why people overdose and they die because they pick up where they left off. And so here I am now, Christian preacher. I'm preaching on the weekends, getting high, and still seeing people saved. And it showed me a valuable lesson. God still will use the messenger 
and not bless him in mm-hmm. the process. And he is disqualified from the process. And God's still going to be honored. Yeah. His word's still going to go forth. You actually led your bartender to Christ. Yes. And this is where it all changed. Three and a half, three months in, I would go every morning to get high. I'd wake up at 10, 30, 11, go to the daiquiri shop, 24 hour daiquiri shop, liquor store in Louisiana, drive through. You don't even have to get out the car in Louisiana. I would drive through and order the strongest drink. The girl working the counter was an atheist, pot smoking unbeliever. And I would share Christ. Hey, I take the 190 octane. Uh, and, you know, by the way, the Bible says if you confess, oh, there'll be four fifty. Hold on. And I give her the money. You know, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, gee, oh, here's your drink, Robbie. And oh, I do this goodness. for months because wow. I, I knew the gospel, but I wasn't living it, right? Yeah. yeah. And she leans out the window one day and God uses this girl to radically change my life. She says to me this line, Robbie, you know, for someone who knows so much about Jesus, you sure don't act like it. Ouch. Wayne, in the process of, yes, the process of leading her to Christ, it brought me back to Christ. I learned a very expensive lesson, but here's a lesson I learned. No one is immune from the effects of sin. Mm. What takes a lifetime to build in a testimony can be destroyed in a moment. No one is outside of the effects of sin. And so we all need protection in life. In the book, I talk about eight things that radically changed my life to experience long-term sobriety. In fact, I tell people that the story in the beginning is good, but the last chapter is worth the whole book. Yeah. An important part of your life today is discipleship. And you've, you've founded the ministry called Replicate. Um, I know there are other people, but I know David Platt came along at just the right time too, didn't he? Yeah, right after I led Christy to the Lord, two months later, David came to me one Sunday on uh, on a church day. And you got to remember, this is David Platt, pre-radical, pre-international mission board, pre-pastor. This is just Dave he's a Platt. seminary yeah. student. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, he looks 15 to me. I'm 6'6", six, six, you know, like two, 260 at the time. And David's like... Uh, you know, 50-year-old bloodhead kid, but he said, the Lord put you on my heart. Would you want to meet once a week to study the Bible, memorize scripture, and pray? And I said, I'd love to. He said, pray about it. I said, I already have. And Wayne, for the next two years, every week, twice a week, I met with David Platt. Mm. We met at the beginning over General So's Chicken at the Chinese restaurant and pizza at the Italian place. David encouraged me to go to seminary. David encouraged me to get a PhD. I was David's assistant. He baptized me. He took me on my first mission trip. He stood in my wedding. I say all that to say this. It's not so much what David taught me theologically, although he did teach me a lot. It's how I watched this man humbly lead, preach the Bible unapologetically, and passionately reach the nation. It changed my life. And that's why, as a product of discipleship, I'm so passionate, and I've written about it for years just of how it's changed my own life. Yeah, and we don't have to be a David Platt to be that kind of discipler. Amen, exactly. God uses, the Great Commission was for everybody. (laughs) Well, Robbie, as I thought about our conversation today, uh, in my morning reading, this verse came up, and it obviously is you, in Colossians, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Does that characterize your life or what? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, you know, I was, I, I share my testimony. Uh, I hadn't shared it in three and a half years at my church. I'd shared it three and a half years ago and I shared it this past year and I hadn't looked at it in a while. I hadn't talked about it early on. I would share it every week, every month because nobody knew it. And so, but now people have kind of heard it. And I'm telling you, Wayne, when I went through the testimony again, it was like I was reading of a different person. Mm. It was like a whole nother life. I, and I, it just reminded me of how far the Lord has brought me from 
And again, I said this at the beginning, but I'll say it again. No one is too far from the reach of the grace of God. If there's breath, there's life, and there's hope. And I just want you to pray. Some of you have prayed for that tough situation and you've given up. If you've been praying for someone and you have given up on them, let me just remind you, no one is too far from the grace of God. And if God can change me and reach me, I believe God can change anybody. So let me just encourage you to reaffirm your commitment to pray and believe in God. Yeah. Well, uh, you mentioned your wife, Candy, um, and and I'd like to hear more about uh, how the two of you got together and how she has encouraged you in Christ. Yeah, my wife, Candy, is a godsend, I'm telling you. God knew I needed a strong, passionate, Christ-centered woman to keep me in line. I mean, just, uh, man, just coming from the life I did and the passion I've had. Candy is actually um, a disciple maker as well. So Candy has been making disciples since the moment I met her. And I tell people we were both on similar parallel tracks toward the Lord. And it was later in life. I didn't meet Candy until I was 27. I got married at 28. And um, she is an author as well. She is a disciple maker. Tell me the story of when, I think you're married at this point, and you announced to her that you think God's calling you to the pastorate. What did she say? Yeah, I had, uh, because I was saved later in life, and because I went to seminary, I went to seminary as a one-year-old Christian. I think about that. I went to seminary nine months removed from a heroin and cocaine relapse. Mm. It's by God's grace, I'm even at the school. But when I got there, I had so much zeal and passion. I was preaching already. And a lot of the guys shunned me. And and rightfully so. They were questioning my ability and my maturity, which rightfully so. But I just felt like I couldn't pastor. And so I thought my life would be a life of evangelism on the road. I'm just going to travel. 2005, we lost everything in Hurricane Katrina nine months after being married. And I mean everything, mm. the car, the wedding presents. The, uh, we moved to South Carolina to be on staff with Don Wilton at First Baptist Spartanburg. Mm-hmm. And some may know him as the previous pastor to Billy Graham right. while Dr. Graham was alive. Don Wilton's son and I were friends. They brought me on staff. And for three months, I shepherded and learned pastoral ministry by every week working with different departments. So one week I was with senior adults, next week pastoral care, next week college, next week students. But two months in, Wayne, I went to Candy in this little trailer we were living in. And I said, baby, I think God is calling me to pastor. What do you think? And Candy said, Robbie, I think it's about time you figured it out. She said, (laughs) I've known that from the beginning. I've been praying for you to figure it out. And I'm telling you, Wayne, as a pa- as a pastor and disciple maker and a person who loves to see people developed and grow, I can't imagine not being a pastor now. But it took losing everything in Katrina at the lowest season of my life. I tell people, when you're down to nothing, God's always up to something. So don't miss it. Don't fret. He uses suffering as a global megaphone uh, to speak to us. And so don't miss what God's doing in some of the worst seasons of your life the voice of experience and great advice. Robbie Gallaty has been our first person guest. You can read more of his story and how an accident, alcohol, and a drug addiction led him to God in his book, Recovered. We'll place a link at firstpersoninterview.com. You can always listen again on our website or even subscribe for automatic downloads of the podcast or use our smartphone app, First Person Interview, available in the App Store. Bringing you these weekly programs is made possible by the support of the Far East Broadcasting Company because the stories of lives changed by Christ are celebrated by all of us. 
And FEBC wants you to also rejoice at the stories of people turning to Christ wherever FEBC's programs are heard. Learn more at febc.org. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us next time for First Person. First Person.